0: Thank you from the woodpeckers studio in the great state of new hampshire welcome to the sounds like a search and rescue podcast where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the white mountains of new hampshire here are your hosts mike and stump
1: all right i'm hitting record you ready christina all right Welcome, so Stomp, this is episode 57, we've got a whole list of things you've been sending me that we have to cover before we get to the real show, are you ready?
2: <laughs> I am ready. Christina,
1: we, we may never get to you. Ready and willing. <laughs> no, we will, we will, so, um, so, um, Stomp, I have to put a plea out to the listeners. For what? I got a new toy that I need to set up in my, um, father-in-law's house up in Maine. I got Starlink satellite. Really? Internet. Wow, you took the plunge, huh? I have it too. I did, yeah. I'm in bed <laughs> with Elon. So, what?
3: Yeah.
2: Christina, do you live in a, like more of a remote area, or?
3: I do. Um, so, actually, Rem and I kind of split our time between both places and where I live. I haven't actually had internet for 15 years, so I've been, yeah. I can Zoom, I can watch TV, I can email <sighs> people, it's like a whole new world. <laughs> I love Elon. He can <laughs>
1: Yeah, he's pretty amazing. You give the endorsement. So the problem we have is that right now we have Hughes which Hughes Net, which is like the satellite internet, and it's basically like dial up and it's it's really not that great. Um but the problem is is that we're surrounded by like sixty foot trees. So I think the only way for me to really get this dish up to a point where we can use it is to get it mounted on top of one of these, like, 60-foot trees. So I may be doing some tree climbing oh to get this thing going, but so I don't know. So you know what? So,
2: I I found it to be really cost-prohibitive. I mean, that the, the fees, the monthly fee was
1: pretty steep. Am I right? It's It was $600 for, installation? for the equipment. Okay. Well, for the equipment, right. and I'm not even done. And then I think it's like a hundred and ten a month or something like that. But huh. for me, um, I have to look to see if you can pause the service. But if I can work up there, game changer. So it's well worth it for me. Oh, sure. And I'm already paying like 60 dollars a month for Hughes Net. So right, it's only an extra fifty dollars or something so we'll see how it goes but i'll be i'll i have to work on mounting this thing and i'm going to try to get it up above the tree line so that i can get it working really well yeah so i'll keep everyone up to date but if there's anybody that's like an expert tree person that is in the freiburg main area and you listen to the show hit me up if you're interested i might have a gig for you
2: okay yeah a few people come to mind actually right off the bat but
1: we can talk off the air yeah, Christina, where do you have your dish mount? Right on
3: my roof, and I
1: is it like just on your yeah. roof or your house?
3: Yeah, and it's like the service is absolutely phenomenal, which is way cool.
1: That's good. Okay, good quality. Awesome. Hmm. All right. Um, awesome. So we'll keep everyone updated on that. But I'm excited because I'm actually thinking like if I can do the show from up north, that'll be perfect. Um, so stomp the next thing I have here moving on is I wanted to give a shout out to our friend Arlette uh, who goes by Apple pie is her through hiker name right. so she has completed 10 of the 11 national scenic trails in the US so she was doing that North Country trail that we talked about like she, she, she did it like in the dead of the winter like the crazy trail that goes from Vermont up to Wisconsin yeah um, so she's she's the only person I think that has, that will have completed all of these eleven scenic trails. So she only has one trail left, which is the Ice Age Trail. So Apple Pie, I know, I know Rich listens, her husband. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll give her a huge shout out because it's an awesome accomplishment.
2: Yeah, how many miles? Like really lengthy mileage in total?
1: Well, I mean, the North North Country Trail was forty two hundred miles. I think the most recent one she did was like a short trail. But the ice age trail which she has left. I don't know. I think it's 800 900 miles or something. Wow. Yeah, she's a she's a beast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's awesome. That's incredible. So I'll That's put great. Um, I'll put all of her social media and I don't know if she's selling like I noticed that she sells like these really cool like hiking um, stuffed animals, so if there's if she's selling any of those I'll put a link in, but we get, we got to get her on the show eventually. Oh, that would be
2: fantastic.
1: Yep. Um, and then you have here Stomp Scott Benneroff has reached Springer Mountain. So this is the guy that did his self-bound AT hike, and he started in the winter. I don't know when he started, like December or January.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I believe it was in December. Um, don't know the the full details, but um, for the most part, he braved the whites in the winter and I think he lucked out with a really pretty mild winter in some senses. So um I've been chatting with him in the background and I think at some point soon we'll, we'll have him in to tell uh, the listeners about this epic adventure. So very cool. Congrats, uh, Scott.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well done. And it was, I remember talking about it. So he did have, I think, you know, a lot of the the southbound stuff in the winter is really dependent on the weather. Like, there's certain times where you can't get through because I know that our Ar- our Lett and Rich tried to make it through, right? But they had a, a heavy winter season, and they they had to, I guess, pack it in. But Scott was able to plow through pretty quickly. So, yeah,
2: good stuff. Absolutely.
1: All right. The next thing I have here is the Red Jacket Inn. Is it an inn or is it a hotel? Well, it's it's a hotel. Uh, more or
2: less, <laughs> but but they label it an inn. It, it used to be. <laughs> it used to be a hotel. I don't know what it is now. Yeah. A pile of ash, I
1: suppose. Yeah, yeah. I've seen some- Yeah, big fire in North Conway for anybody that's not uh, paying attention. So uh, this is the place where, I think it's got the indoor water park, right? Yes. Yeah, or it's
2: next to that. Well, it has a, yeah, there's the outdoor one that's next door, but um, it's up that sloped hill. Uh, right near the Mount Washington view vantage point there, um, but that was wild. I was I was home and I, I look on Facebook and somebody posted images and it said seven minutes ago. So it just like uh, took off so quick and there, there were some stunning videos that have been removed of people inside their rooms filming out on you know looking at the ceiling ablaze, like really crazy. What a crazy event. I have not heard uh, yeah. what caused it. Have, has anybody heard?
1: They don't know. Um, so the this wing of the building was built in 1971, and unfortunately, I, I did read in the paper that they said that because the fire was so intense that when they when they got it under control, they had to do some additional demolition of the the smoldering segments of the, the building that fell down, which is going to make it much more difficult for them to pinpoint the source of the fire. So yeah. we'll see what happens. But there was no sprinkler system. It wasn't, I think back then when it was built, it wasn't something that um, was in code. And my guess is that even though they have added on to the red jacket and put the water park in there, like they weren't, they didn't have to get that section up to code. I find that hard to believe. So, I mean, it's it would have been probably ridiculous amounts of money.
2: Yeah, but it's state law. I mean, I'd like to do some more research about that and see what the scoop is. It's, It's pretty interesting. I don't think you get a pass. I don't think you get grandfathered
1: in, but I could be wrong. Report back to us, so yeah, I'll, I'll, on what you under, uncover. But I, I think that I'm pretty sure that the, there's enough construction going on there that they would have had to come up to code if they if it was a law. But it's just it's unfortunate. But these old hotels, they all it seems like they all burned down in the North Country. Unfortunately, oh, that's true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Strange history. Yep. Uh, and then speaking of North Country resorts, I've got an update here: the Balsams, which is that that resort that is below Table. Um, Table Rock, way up north, is I guess apparently they have secured funding to uh, to renovate the resort. So it's four hundred rooms. It's a it's going to be like a two hundred million dollar renovation, and they're going back and forth trying to get some funding for a road upgrade that will connect a golf course to the Balsams. But um, I was hoping that this would this place would get renovated because it's falling apart. I know, which is sad.
2: It is sad. It's such a beautiful area absolutely beautiful
1: yeah um and i had an awesome idea that they could build if they if they do get the renovation done that they could build a zip line from from table (laughs) table rock (laughs) to the to the resort have you been up there christina have you ever been up yeah a few times
3: um i actually did a weird photo shoot in a wedding gown but that was for some bridal magazine It, it was wild
1: oh you're gonna have to send us that photo we'll use that for marketing on this <laughs> so but you can see it i could totally see a zip line going from there right it's like a perfect shot
3: would be insane
1: yeah yeah oh, i got man. a feeling some people wouldn't like that but anyway um so moving on to some positive news um stop you put a note in here about the double murder that happened down in concord well i
2: don't know if it's you said that there was necessarily positive but I, I,
1: yeah yeah I, i'm being facetious oh
2: okay yeah i the, the interesting. I think the authorities are trying to canvass the neighborhood and the region by reaching out to the people that live there and um, trying to acquire video, home footage, you know, CTV type of footage, home video, to see if they can't locate any uh, information that might lead to the suspect or suspects. So that's pretty interesting. So they're still looking for um, in- information.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a crazy case. And hopefully they'll... They'll figure out what happened. Scary, scary. You go out for a walk in the woods like that, and then
2: yeah, and that ties into this next thing that you mentioned here, huh? A serial killer I mean, in New Hampshire. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I, I, about, oh, I before you put in the update on the the double murder, so we're usually not this depressing, Christina. I promise, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, what have I gotten myself into here? I know, okay. but so I had to laugh stop because whenever these things happen, like and I'm assuming this is an isolated incident. What happened in Concord, but there was this video that was sent to me. It was sent to me by a couple of people, and they're like, "There's a serial killer in New Hampshire." So I'm, I listen to the, and it's a nice lady. She's got a podcast, and she's she's basically saying that. All these people that end up dead around the Merrimack River from all the way, the Merrimack Valley in Massachusetts, all the way up to, you know, Bow, New Hampshire, they're trying to... What they try to do in these videos is say that there's a serial killer, and then they, they take every single situation where a body is found in a river or a murder happened, and then they, they say, like, you know, they're not completely connected, but they could be connected. Uh-huh. And I start looking at the list, and it's like one of them was the lady that, that fell in in Ossipee that was walking her dog. Yeah. Another one was an incident in Amesbury that I know was not, you know, was a— a purposeful jump into the Merrimack. So there, there's all these things to um, to sort of discount the idea that there's a serial killer. But I definitely have, I continue to hear people saying that there's a serial killer because all these people are falling into the water. And the reality is is that people end up in rivers and water, bo- bodies of water and yeah, for various yeah. different reasons, and it doesn't mean that there's a serial killer in New Hampshire. So Correct. everybody just calm down. I know. Is the, is the media Relax. hyping this up? Is the media running with this? I don't think the media is. I think what's going on is that there's a population of true crime people. And I, I'm a junkie. Like I love the true crime stuff, but I also with this podcast, like I'm always very hesitant to sort of get I think that a lot of the true crime people try to insert themselves into the story. And I've seen it with Mara Murray and all this other stuff. There's just a crazy group of people that's tend to be attracted to this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, they're trying to put two and two together to get four. But the reality is, is that they just stretch this stuff and it's just, you know, it's an unfortunate incident would happen in Concord, but that doesn't mean that there's a serial killer walking around New Hampshire. Right. Famous last words, right? Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> We're becoming like the uh, the Morbid podcast. You guys know about Morbid? Yeah. I think they're yeah, the number one podcast out there
1: next yeah. to Rogan, I think, or somebody. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to mm-hmm. uh, um, a plug here. So, New Hampshire Fishing Game is hiring. Oh. So, um, they're looking for a uh, conservation officer. So, I just wanted to read the qualification, Stomp, to see if you, you might be a fit. Uh. <laughs>
2: I don't think old guys make it anymore. That they're not qualified. Older than dirt is there guys. Limit? I, I don't know. You tell me.
1: <laughs> it won't pull up for me, so I think we'll just have to. Um, you know, we'll have to see if it pulls up. But essentially, what you need to do is um, you have to go through police officer academy. Yeah. And um, it had a bunch of qualifications on here. I don't know why it's not pulling up. I'm it's wondering a PDF. maybe if it is. It's a PDF, and I'm also wondering if it um, got taken down. Maybe I don't know. Oh, possible. Anyway, yeah.
2: well, I know it's pretty stringent. Anyway. I mean, the the athletic side of it, I think I could probably crush, but
1: I don't know. There's there's a lot of layers to it. Um, I know that there's a, there's a written exam mm-hmm. in early June that you have to take, and I think that's in Concord. Yeah. And then exactly once you pass that written exam, then you need to do a physical, which I don't know what it is. Yeah. Um. But and then after that, I'm assuming that you, know, you have to go through an interview or something, and then they'll make a decision on whether they'll hire you.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think I, the ship has passed on that one for me. But had I known when I was a younger man, I think I would have. But um, I was honestly very ignorant about the, the, the state. I mean, I was up here all the time hiking, but I didn't know that there was all this stuff going on. It's like, wow. Yeah.
1: yeah pretty so neat. I will, I'll post this in the show notes, and assuming that the, the link actually still works. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So the next two here, Stomp, you you can cover because you put these in.
2: Well, yes, Andy Cannon sent an article over to us, and we will just briefly mention it here. We'll stick it in the show notes, and it's regarding hiking poles. And it's an older article, but the 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 bent of the article is pro, somewhat pro uh, hiking poles for the obvious reasons, like unloading joints, uh, you know, burning more calories, whatever it may be. But they also link to some other studies that say just the opposite, you know, in terms of, you know, it's going to hurt your balance and your coordination and things like that. So um, check it out, see what you think, and uh, just a little bit more uh, information for you to check out and uh, come to a decision about those damn poles. (laughs) (laughs) Christina, when you hike, do you use poles? You don't.
3: I used to I, I don't anymore <laughs> Yeah.
2: well I think that's
3: I, I'm clumsy
2: ah yeah I think I don't think the trail running community ever considers using poles do they sometimes
3: actually they, they sometimes do. they're fairly yeah in Europe they're really popular huh. mm-hmm.
2: that's interesting Yeah. anyhow I was right. just curious
3: <laughs> yeah I'm just too clumsy I try to use them and then I break them
2: yeah They do break quite a bit. Um, I've seen some hefty poles out there for like $200, too. Like, are you kidding me? What are they, titanium? I mean, gosh. Too funny. Uh, Hey, I, I got this article. I found this article you might find funny moving on to something completely different. There's another report coming out of Connecticut of a bear breaking into a car. And um, I know this is completely random here, but we have talked about bears (laughs) in the past and there's one that floats around here in Thornton opening car doors and stuff like that. Um, It it totaled this car down in Connecticut. But what I found really interesting about this story um, are the statistics that they mentioned here. There's something to the effect of Several thousand reports of uh, bear encounters in Connecticut and I think there's like 1,200 bear um, that are um, have been identified in the in the state. I mean that's pretty amazing, isn't it?
3: That's a lot
2: That's a lot absolutely for for a southern New England state, I find that number to be staggering. like what what are the numbers up here I wonder?
1: Um, I don't know. Uh, I definitely remember us doing a story of somebody that was hiking and they like bumped into a bear on trail. So they were they weren't a trail runner, but they were hiking and they turned a corner and bumped into a bear, and then was a whole incident. So I think I think Connecticut probably has <laughs> I don't know per capita I don't know what their bear population is, but my guess is that they don't have as much area, so the bears are probably like confined to a, a tighter location. So there's more incidents. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I feel like there's a lot of bird houses in Connecticut too. I feel like that's a, like everybody that they all are on like two acre properties with a bunch of bird bird houses too, right? I think that's probably part of it. That's possible. That's possible. Yeah, okay. All right, Stomp. So now you, one thing you had asked me to remind you is Mrs. Stomp had a critique about the last episode. Yeah, yeah, just out of the
2: blue. I mean, everybody's getting on the critique wagon here, so she felt a little amiss and uh, wanted to join in on all the. uh the bashing of us so she said here's her critique about the last episode the bone crusher ale that i was drinking last week mm-hmm. this is i don't tell me if this is a weak critique or not i don't know this is sort of stretch of it but she goes bone crusher is a brown ale not a lager <laughs> like are you kidding me that's not a critique so anyway, I, I, I did some research about it, and she was absolutely right, like, touche. So it, this is like Steve Rodriguez territory from Reckless. An ale is brewed with top-fermenting yeast, while lagers are brewed with bottom-fermenting yeast. So there is a difference, I guess, and I'm sure it's more complicated than that, but
1: touche. So we love our feedback. I have feedback. Two comments about this. Go ahead. Yeah. Two comments. One is... <laughs> Compared to my wife, like my wife goes right at us and (laughs) directly critiques like us. So this is a good one. And two, I'm impressed that Mrs. Stomp knows so much about beer. (laughs) Yes,
2: well, she she is a former bartender, so that's true. She knows her
1: her stuff. She makes a mean mai tai. Oh hell yeah! (laughs) Yeah. So Um, all right. So the next one here, and this is the last one that we have. Is I, I picked this up earlier today. One of the I'm staying off of social media, but I did cheat today. I was on a little bit um, over lunch, but I picked this up on one. Somebody had forwarded this over. I thought this was interesting, so this is a gear update. So Big Agnes, yep. you know they make tents and stuff. I I've never had any of their gear, but I do know that for um, freestanding tents, so not the kind with the like that you have to do the trekking poles, but basically Big Agnes has these like I think it's Copper Spur. Like they're known for having the best ultralight. Um, freestanding tents on the market so they have moved into the ultralight backpack space which I thought was interesting huh so they've got I think they've got like they've got two day packs so like a 20 liter and a 32 liter pack and then they've got a 50 and a 65 liter backpack. And then I think there was some other ones there, but I think they have women's specific backpacks as well. So I was looking through, they seem like they're in line with, they're a little bit heavier. So I think the 50 liter was like a little over three pounds, which is a little heavier than what you'll get with like Osprey's um, Exos pack or Gregory, I think has like a two and a half pound pack. Yeah. Uh, but they're a little lighter than like a, a, a Deuter backpack that you get so they're kind of like right in the mix of all of those but they're not they're not in the same spaces like the Hyperlite with the two pound 50 liter backpacks but they're, they look pretty sharp and they, yeah. they do seem to the thing that differentiated them to me was that they have a pretty big out outside storage uh, pocket yeah and then they have this sort of interesting setup where in the back it's it's like fully unzips so that you don't have to go through the top you can you can lay it down like a duffel bag and unzip it so
2: huh interesting ultra light all through that's an interesting concept
1: i mean everybody markets themselves as ultra light gear sure so it's just a it's just a marketing thing but um they're But I'll put the links in the show notes in case somebody wants to check it out. But I thought that that was interesting that they're getting into a very crowded backpack market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. All right. That's it. So sponsors and uh, Coffee Talk Stomp. Yeah,
2: let's see. Sarah, without an H, donated three. Shandy donated three. And uh, Jen donated one. Uh, mountain Princess 207 donated five coffees. Like, wow. Super generous. A princess donated? Mount, a yeah, mount, uh, mountain princess. So, I don't know. I'm not sure what mountain she domiciles at, but uh, she's a mountain princess. 207. Mountain Princess 207. <laughs> and then we have... Uh, what? What is Jack Daly's... Uh, official title in civil air patrol right now do you do we know he's i don't know okay i we have to get them back in to to have an update because jack has gone through the program and i think it'll be really interesting to see what's been going on in his life and uh what's been going on with, with cap i think that'd be really cool so jack thank you very much and we'll be talking to you soon okay brother and of course, a special thank you to Re- at Reckless Brewing, uh, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft, beer, and fun, just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, many 4K footers, and less than 10 minutes from the five corners. Awesome.
1: Excellent. All right. So, show opener here. So, welcome to episode 57 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. Uh, if you are a running geek, this is the show for you. So I'm a, I'm a running geek, so I'm excited. <laughs> uh, tonight we are joined by the owner of Rockhopper Races, Christina. F- is it Folsick? 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 Folsick. Folsick. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Christina has been instrumental in bringing some of the best mountain race events into the White Mountains in recent years. So we're looking forward to her sharing stories of how Rockhopper has grown over the years, and we're going to learn more about her background and hi- highlight some of the upcoming events that Rockhopper is is managing. Um, later in the show, we'll cover some recent search and rescue news, and then I think we've got some other stuff planned, Stomp, but we'll see how it goes with, with time. So, I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. All right, all right. What are you drinking, Stomp? Anything good?
2: Well, we're recording on Cinco de Mayo, so I'm having a, um, a pomegranate and something or other margarita. is a little different, huh? You guys <laughs> forgot it was Cinco de Mayo, didn't you?
3: <laughs> I... I did
2: not, but I'm drinking a water, so. You are all right, so you're you're keeping it healthy. um, I'm
1: drinking something called Exhibit A Wandering Thoughts, and it is a double dry hop New England IPA. So it's a double dry hop New England double IPA. So it's not my favorite, I'll be honest with you. It's okay. Yeah. That's all right. It's a bit of a miss,
2: but don't have to right. convince me Sorry, exhibit a it's an IPA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So any recent hike stomp? Ah, I've been so darn busy, but, um, uh, Stomp and I made it out to, uh, scour again. It was, I think it was Sunday and it was super cozy, warm. And I mean, tank top weather. And we were just soaking up the sun up there for a couple hours and it was just awesome. But, um, I'm doing some recon on getting out to the cabin again. I've, uh, been, briefly talking to Teal Goat and finding out the status of Sawyer Road. I don't think that's opening It's open.
1: It's open. I heard that It's It's open as of today. Are you sure about that? Because I heard it may Um, not open at all No, I I saw on social media. It's got to be true Inter- yeah, it's got to be okay. Because I-
3: it's all true on social media. <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> yeah. interesting. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure because it was like multiple people chiming in saying that the gate was open.
2: Okay, well, if that's the case, then I'm I'm captain bound as soon as possible. So, okay. if you're ready for a grueling bushwhack, Mike, you let me know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll go. I'll yeah, Let me know when it goes. But right. I haven't been out since I went on Adams. But I am going tomorrow morning. I'm heading up to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test out the Starlink. I'm going to just see if I can get it connected even through the trees. But then we are, uh, before we go up to the, um, my in-law's place, we're going to stop at, uh, my daughter's home from college. So I'm going to take her, we were talking about doing a 4,000 footer, but we decided that we want to stay a little bit lower. We don't want to f- deal with like the monorail or ice or stuff like that. So we're going to go to Kearsarge North. Okay. So I think it'll be a little icy up top, but I think otherwise it'll be pretty dry.
2: Okay, you can tell your daughter that I've been making an effort to, Put more mountain imagery on the insta, insta page, and at the they're just random mountain pictures. And at the bottom, I I put hashtag random mountain.
1: Yes, exactly. I'm so, I'm trying. I'm trying over here. We'll I'll make her uh, take some photos, and we'll put one up tomorrow when we when we do the hike. Okay. But she's she's back from college, so she's she wants to knock off a few four thousand footers over the summer. But yeah tomorrow we're just gonna we're gonna go to Kearsarge North it's nice and she'll like it she never been there so I'll show the fire tower and it should be good oh, it's fantastic yeah have you been out hiking at all Christina lately
3: yeah I was actually up on Chicora the other day oh, almost snow free not quite yet.
1: really nice so that's
2: what through yeah. 3,300 feet
3: about that yeah any ice a little bit but you didn't need microspikes. it was all pretty avoidable
2: cool that's good I'm
1: ready for summer
3: me too. <laughs> it was a cold winter. Yeah.
1: did you did you go the route that um, the the Rockhopper race takes you and torture everybody?
3: <laughs> Part of that way. So I just we went up and down Liberty. We were beat because we hosted White Lake and we were up for like thirty hours, mm-hmm. and we decided we'd hike and set asleep. It, it was kind of a blur. <laughs>
0: wow, <I did>. that's, <laughs> that's hardcore. Awesome. Well,
1: we'll talk. We're going to talk a lot about Shakur in a minute, but before yeah. we do that. Stomp, you have this, what is your dumb idea? You got a new idea here?
2: Yeah, a new segment. No, it's a good idea, actually. A new segment. Well, I don't <laughs> know if this is the name of it, but basically I, I tagged it as Notable Listener Hike of the Week. So, I mean, if, if listeners want to tag us in a post, um, do so. And if, you know, if we get a bunch of them, we'll just pick out a random hike that's super notable and... um You know, Steve Rodriguez did not tag us this time, but it spurred on the idea and uh, because he just bagged uh, North Percy Peak six days ago, I think. So that's pretty epic because, you know, that's pretty far north and there's still quite a bit of snow and wet ledges up there on that beautiful peak. So uh, Steve is the first official uh, Notable Listener Hike of the Week winner. (laughs) Good job, Steve. Impressive stuff.
1: Do you know? Did he say? I was. I was going to ask him, but I, I didn't. I didn't get to. But did he say? Was the gate? Was the gate shut for Nash Stream Road, or was he? Was he able to drive it? He up,
2: didn't say. There? He didn't specify. It's a good question. I'm. Uh, obviously, it's walkable. Um, I don't think there's any snow on the ground there. Uh, you know. That's. I think they use it as a snowmobile path in the winter.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, good question. I mean, it's two miles from the gate, so it's not horrible. Oh, it's four miles extra. But I think if you have not hiked the Percy, so there's North Percy and South Percy— if you have not hiked those, and it's a little far in the north, but uh, the Nash Stream Forest, that whole area there, put that on your list of places to go this summer because it is amazing. It really is. I've been there like late fall, so I don't know what the bugs are like. I'm assuming they're probably not great there, but um, it's a completely bald peak. Is it? Do you know, is it bald because there was a fire there, Stop or is it just that's the way it is? I don't know. That might have to be
2: a, a history segment.
1: Yeah, I don't know either, but it's uh, the two peaks right next to each other. South Peak um, is a little bit more wooded. Great views heading south into, the, you know, look down into the Kilkenny's and the Presidentials. And then the North Peak is completely bare. And then when you get up top, you can see like the Mahoosicks and Grafton Notch and that whole area there, I think, is is uh, where the views head out to, to the north and to the, the east. So it's a, it's a really cool area. Yeah, and um, it, it doesn't get much traffic at all this time of the year so Steve must have been the only person there with his dog
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> cute dog too
1: yep um, alright so anything else stop before we move to segment one no, let's get rolling
2: people don't want to hear from us they want to hear from Christina
0: it's time for Slasher's guest of the week very cool very cool
1: Christina, this is your moment. You ready?
3: <laughs> oh my God, the moment I've always been waiting for. <laughs> yes.
1: Have you ever, have you done pod, have you done a podcast before?
3: A couple. Oh man. Okay, so you, We're
1: yeah. not the first.
3: I know. Not, I, you didn't pop my carry. I sorry. thought it
1: was special, but okay. Um, so, Christina, I was just going to sort of give you my experience interacting with rock hopper and then transition into doing a little bit of a deep dive about your background and and about the races and the events and everything. But I, I do, I've been a runner my whole life and I, I've been doing the Mount Washington Road Race. That's actually how me and Stomp met each other, like probably 15 years ago like yeah. coordinating rides and whatnot but a couple of years ago i think it was 2018 i didn't get into the mount washington lottery you go through these streaks where you like you'll get in like two three <laughs> years in a row and then you don't get in for like two three years so right. i was on the bad end of a streak and i was depressed because i was like i really like doing the mount washington and then i think it was my sister-in-law marissa or maybe somebody else who's like hey you know there's this other race that you can do in on mount chicor so i was like all right i'll sign up for this thing and I showed up and, you know, it's pretty close to where we're up in Freiburg. So it wasn't too bad. I drove down probably 35 minutes or so to get down there and then uh, pulled into this like big area, private, private house that had a big, big lot. And there's probably like Dave Dillon was there, stomped yeah. So I was talking to sure. him. Probably what, like three, 400 people, maybe probably even more than that. And you know, the the event was like the music was going on. It was a great crowd. It was like, you know, one of those, you know, first time I – I've done a few mountain yeah. races, but it was the first <laughs> sort of race that I had done that had like a really good vibe. Everywhere, everywhere else was like just in a parking lot and you yeah. just run off. So, But I do remember – I don't know if it was you or your your co-owner that sort of did the announcement around like – you could feel sort of the the excitement, but also the pressure, because I think it was – was it the first race that you guys had done in the White Mountains?
3: Yeah, it was actually the first race, and there was a lot of road running that year. So the course is a million times harder now. Yeah,
1: yeah. But, yeah,
3: it, yeah, it was – scary to host the race for the first time.
1: Yeah. And I remember like everybody, like I remember talking to a bunch of people and we were like, we're not even going to let like a piece of paper drop on the ground. Cause you know, <laughs> were like so afraid the forest service was going to like yeah. say, forget it. So, uh, but yeah, there was a, but you know, there was an awesome inspirational talk in the beginning and then, you know, we went off and there was a, there was a lot of road race, and The problem with the road part was because it was flat. Like I was ripping on the roads and, uh, I got I got to the hills and I completely just I I I yeah. went and I redlined on the roads and then I got to the hills and I was in trouble so plus it was super hot that day so um. yeah. But that's how I got to know Rockhopper, and then I know you did the the Kilkenny Ridge race and a bunch of other races. But um, I've always sort of paid attention to what you guys are doing. I know COVID was probably a challenge for uh, for you for the last year yeah. or two. But you know, excited to have you on. So with that intro, would you just want to sort of introduce yourself, give a little bit of your background about running, outdoor sports, and, and how you ended up in New Hampshire?
3: Yeah. So um, I did not grow up very athletic. And I'm from Connecticut originally, so my hobbies were sitting on the couch and eating donuts, and then kind of progressed to one day I started mountain biking, um, took it as far as racing at the professional level, doing downhill mountain bike races, um, had some really bad injuries, finally had to walk away from that sport, but at that point I, like, loved that outdoor world. Got into high-altitude mountaineering, racing dirt bikes, rock climbing, um, ice climbing, like just all sorts of different things and started actually trail running. It was a dare. So somebody dared me to run 16 miles. I'd never really run before. It was like the most hellish 16 miles of my life, but most of it was walking finished. (laughs) And two years later did what I called a stupid human feat. I ran the Vermont 50 without training, somehow finished before the cutoff and, you know, realized I kind of had a knack for running, but didn't realize what that knack was until I later decided to just, like, leave Connecticut, make a life change, come to the mountains so that I could be here all the time. I used to come up Friday night and then drive home Monday morning at, like, 3 in the morning so I could be at work, and that was stupid. So hmm. kind of relocated up here and found out that I was a decent runner. So
2: you didn't uh, leave Connecticut because of the, the bear infestation?
3: <laughs> oh, my gosh, no. There were no bears back then. <laughs>
1: oh, that's, that's crazy. And then uh so you settled in here. What? how did you end up starting rock hopper? What's the story behind that?
3: So I've been race directing in, when I lived in southern New Hampshire, the Bearbrook Trail Marathon was the very first race and hosted um a really cool summer cross country series and then moved up to Tamworth in 2014 and it was just too much. I took on a new job, I just bought a house and didn't think that I would get back to race directing. And then all of a sudden, like one day it just happened and started getting permits. And there's there's a lot involved in maintaining permits, which is why I have to be so strict and kind of a hard ass at the races. But you have to promote safety, leave no trace principles and really be good stewards of the land. Yeah. So. It was that first year was like they were watching us like hawks and we had to really show them that trail runners aren't these dirtbag douches throwing garbage all over the trail. Because that's that's what we were thought to be was like you throw garbage, you ruin the trail, you poop on the trail. And we had to show them that that's not who we are. And, you know, that was 2018. um, Definitely a huge hit from COVID. There were no races in 2020. 2021 started back up again mm-hmm. and totally like revamped rock hopper. And it's, it's actually like way cooler than it's ever been like super fun events.
2: That's
1: awesome. Awesome. And then the, um, just as a race director, like uh, my job, like I'm a program manager, I have to organize things and I'm like very operational. So I spend a lot of time with spreadsheets and, and very sort of focused on, Step by step getting projects done. And I'm assuming, I've never done race directing, but I would assume that like logistics and organization, like that has to be like your area of expertise, I would imagine, right?
3: Yeah, it's, I mean, it is the behind the scenes work is absolutely incredible. I mean, it's an entire year of planning, prepping, um, permits, insurance. I mean, there's it, working with private landowners if need be, you know, making sure we have enough. Uh, I like the party atmosphere, so, like, with COVID, getting swag on time is, like, absolute hell. I wish all the races sold out like Shakora, so it's easy. I can just, like, order the swag before the deadline, but um, that, we used to have, like, a three-week turnaround, and now you're looking at two to three months. And I think that's been the biggest challenge of race directing is to be able to give people a lot of things. I have to order stuff very far in advance.
1: Wow. Got it. In as far as like coming up with the ideas of where the, the courses are going to be, who 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 comes up with your your course design and, and your ideas for that?
3: So um, my partner Rem, he he and I sit there and we just like scour maps and really, like, and I mean we're in the whites all the time, playing and running, and we're just like digging through how much elevation can we put into a course? Like what what's the fewest amount of miles with the most amount of elevation? And we just keep tweaking, tweaking, tweaking. And of course, the process of getting a permit for a new race is insane. Um, But we, we, yeah, well, the Jigger Johnson race this year has been quite the process and pretty cool that one's going to happen. But there are a lot of things that are off limits with holding events in the Forest Service. And maybe someday those things will change. I'm not sure if they will. I'm hoping they do because it would open a lot more doors. But It's kind of like, um, it's just fun. It's like creating this masterpiece and how much can we make the runner suffer and then how much fun can we have after the race and during the race?
1: Yeah. And do you have like, is there certain (laughs) rules that the Forest Service has around, do they factor in like, okay, if you're going to have a race that's X amount of miles, you can only have X amount of runners before you start doing like staggered, starts and things like that how do they figure the capacity on the trail that they'll allow
3: they just cap it um right now 250 runners is it i don't see that ever increasing and again the white mountains are crowded and how are we trying to reduce impact we're trying to reduce the impact by timing the race so that the majority of the runners are either off of the busy parts of of the hike before all the hikers come up there and it's um it's a lot of work. It's a lot of planning and going back and forth with meetings and multiple conversations with people in the the Forest Service. Or if we're working with the state or private landowners.
2: Yeah, I was gonna mention that actually it's multi layered with state land, like you know, Franconia and whatnot, uh or town. Yeah, it's very complicated.
3: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of permits. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Wow.
1: And with obviously like you always want to be as inclusive as you can be, but with these mountain races, it's not necessarily it's not like a, a street course where you can you can afford to have somebody out there for six or seven hours and you can have volunteers. Like I would assume that you need to in some ways compress that time down so you do have to limit sort of the expectation. I, I would think like the um You know, the the, the smaller races, that's easier to do. But, like, you can't have somebody on Chikora for, like, seven or eight hours running a course. Or maybe you can. I don't know. But No,
3: we do. We do. Um, Chikora, you know, we ask that you have run a 50K. And, I mean, people, they lie to us. But, you know... I think last year was a huge eye opener. We had more people that refused to take water at the aid station because it was only nine miles to get back to the finish line. And people were barfing everywhere, collapsing. I mean, it was the most epic. I mean, we were triaging people and there were probably at least 80 people that we had to cool down and stabilize. It it was absolutely insane. And Um, You know, some people take eight hours to finish. So they do technically have eight hours to finish this race. But, you know, I try to really encourage people to be aware that this is a mountain race. And I think some people don't realize how difficult the courses are. Now, Kilkenny, I have a lot of people who, oh, I've run a three-hour marathon or, you know, I've done a triathlon. I've done an Ironman. And the challenge with that race is you can't drop. You have to go 25 miles, and if you have to drop, you're sitting in a aid station for potentially almost a day. So depending on the course and where the bailout points are, that really determines how we're vetting the runners. And with Jigger being one of the hardest races, if not the hardest 100K in the country, we have to be really careful with our vetting process. And the Forest Service wants us to do that as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But the other thing too, is going back to that three hour marathon or like, and again, I've been running for since high school, I took a little bit of time off, but I've been running pretty much straight for 20 years, at least 20, 30 miles a week and the thing that even people that are road runners don't understand is when you're running elevation like I've seen so many people that like they'll they get on these hills and they think that they can do these big long strides and they don't understand about sort of like shortening your stride and increasing your cadence when you're going uphill they don't know how to find their gear going uphill and they just burn out Mm -hmm. so it is something that you know if you are somebody that hasn't done trail running and you're a runner and you're interested in doing it like you do need to get out there and really experience elevation because if not you'll end up you know rock will end up cleaning you guys off the trail mm-hmm.
3: yeah and it's you know aren't races except for white lake they it's not even just trail running it's mountain running so you know and there's a huge difference between trail running and mountain running which i didn't realize until i started running the mountains and it's a totally different style of training and a different way of moving
1: yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and would you were you competitive in, when you did your when you were started off running? Did you do a lot of competitive ultra races yourself?
3: Yeah, so I um, I actually took it to the elite level. I was sponsored by La Sportiva for quite some time, and um, as ridiculous as this sounds, I had a lot of emotional trauma and PTSD from racing at that level and took a step back. I did a race last fall, which um, was incredible. My head was in a really good place, but it's really dumb, but I want people to like me for who I am as a person, not because I can run fast. And it might not bother most people, but that really bothered me because I didn't know who liked me for me, and I didn't know who liked me just because I was fast. So it definitely is, for me, Far more rewarding to be on the other end in race directing because what I want to celebrate is everybody. I want to celebrate the very first person, but I want to celebrate them in the same way that we celebrate the very last person. So I I don't ever want the races to become something that is totally biased towards the faster runners and biased towards the slower runners. Um, Ram and I really focus on trying to make sure that everybody has the same experience no matter where they finish.
1: Yeah, and I think you've set set up that, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, because I want to break down each race, but with the race, the cog event, that sounds like you've got you found the perfect balance for that with, with yeah. that particular race, which is good. And it's interesting. Yeah. I guess I'd be curious about your opinion. So I'm doing a half marathon on Saturday. First time I've done a half marathon in about two and a half years. Yeah. My last race, I finished second in my age group. So I've always been sort of like competitive in my age group, but like sort of not finishing in the top five or 10 people, but like usually, you know, in the, you know, the sort of the top half of it, but I have since like, I turned 50, I've slowed down quite a bit and I just don't have the motivation to go out there and like run fast because I'm afraid I'm going to get injured. So I'm doing the a transition where I'm sort of just getting to the point where I'm now a middle of the pack person where before I could I could sort of at least have a little bit of an ego boost where I would be sort of towards the beginning although that ego boost got knocked out when I did these mountain races because I was definitely (laughs) middle of the pack for those but do you have any thoughts on you know as people get older with running the transition and the change like how do you keep motivated
3: You move your way back through the mullet. I mean, a race is like a mullet. It's like all business in the front and it's a party in the back. And we all know who's having more fun. Okay. So, you know, you, you take that gracefully and you adjust your goals. And it's okay to not, it's okay to be competitive with yourself. But maybe it's time to start being a little more playful with your races and make it like this wicked fun day on the trail instead of, Stressing yourself out and focusing on, you know, really huge goals. Not saying that being competitive isn't okay because it is and it's fun and, you know, it's normal to want to, it's a race. You're racing people, but there's also a personal challenge. And I don't really see aging as a huge issue. Um, I, it's, you're just more experienced at life. Most of our race winners are in their 40s and almost 50. It, it's amazing. And if you look at a lot of the women out there running, women in their 40s and 50s are kicking ass right now. So mm. I'm not sure if it's necessarily age or you've just been doing it too long and you're losing a little bit of that motivation and you just need to take it back a notch to make it more playful. Yeah. And I
1: got I to get a costume. That's what I need. A pink tutu. <laughs> it's or all something.
3: about the costume, <laughs> ripping fireball. I mean,.
1: exactly exactly so that's that's the other thing that's interesting about the ultra running and not not even just the but the ultra running like you're so right about that like I noticed that the the distance is more is like an equalizer when it comes to the age factor I think the shorter distances like age definitely factors in but with with true endurance when it's it sort of comes down to grit it seems like like you said these 40 something people are are They're remaining competitive which is interesting
3: it's wild and you know you have to adapt your training for aging so there's definitely um a lot of and we can spend like a whole day talking about this but there's a lot of science behind how you train as you age so that you can maintain your level of fitness and stay fast and there's an emotional piece to it too there's a lot involved in
1: training absolutely uh, we'll see maybe i'll get a little spunk in my uh, my race <laughs> on saturday I'll, you know how i do but I'm, uh, the good thing is, is i'm going into it and i'm like i don't have any expectations i am going to just sort of stick with some of my friends and and yeah. start off and see how it goes so anyway um
3: bring a couple of fireball shots i'm just saying <laughs> really <laughs> okay. hey, i uh, won a race back in december i had five fireball shots really epic okay.
2: during the race or after or
3: during. holy shit
2: <laughs> that is carpe okay. diem wow but
3: the funny thing is i don't drink i just do shots of fireball sometimes when i'm running you just rev so, up your brain I, but like, i don't drink otherwise yeah yeah, yeah
2: that's epic awesome. actually we used to do great. that um, in boxing like we, we'd we get a shot of vodka and stuff because boxing was so intense uh, yeah I, I, I get it it's a jolt it's a, a super jolt anyhow it is It <laughs> is so funny
1: great alright so um a couple of other things. And then I want to get into a little little bit of a deep dive on each of your races. And it's this Jigger Johnson thing is going to be it's going to be more of a deep dive. We're going to we're going to get into that. But um, the COVID impact. So you you, did you were you sort of kidding yourself at a certain point to say like, okay, we're going to get back, we're going to get back, we're going to get back? Or did you know pretty quickly that this was going to you're going to have to pack it in for a year or two because of COVID?
3: Oh, I knew it was going to be so bad. I actually bought a home gym like okay. before the gyms closed. And it was honestly the, the business, I had to defer a lot of runners. A lot of the race expenses came out of my personal income last year. So this year is kind of like breaking even year. So it, it hit rock hopper really hard. And if I weren't so motivated and didn't love it so much, I probably would have thrown it in the towel.
2: Is this your full-time gig?
3: Uh, it it will be as of May 26th. I'm retiring from dental hygiene and taking a leap of faith on this nice. because we're branching out into three different entities. But um,
2: Wow, good yeah, for you. Yeah, it will be. Excellent. Best of luck. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it'll work out.
3: Thank you. I need luck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, everybody sign up for the uh, the races here for sure. Um, all right. So I guess from here, I want to, before we go into the deep dive on the races, can you talk a little bit about, and you touched on this a little bit, but sort of your philosophy around entertainment, food, uh, the race timing, the photos, volunteers, can can you talk a little bit about how you manage all that?
3: Yeah. So my I, when I was racing around the country, some of the things I really enjoyed about the races out West was they had kick ass photos. They had an after party where, the first people hung out like all day so that the last people weren't standing there with crickets. The vibe was amazing. And ultimately what they had was this like community. I'm like, why don't we have this on the East Coast? Well, you're paying $25 for a race on the East Coast. You're paying three, $400 to go do a race out on the West Coast. And why is it so expensive? Well, you're hiring people to come in. So I pay for a photographer. I pay for food trucks, um, you know, DJ at some races bring in vendors, you know, swag, tons of swag, finishers awards. So, you know, my two choices are to spend a lot of money and charge more for a race so that people have an experience or just keep it like super grassrooty. And because I love the party atmosphere, I, I prefer to keep the races pricier because you're, Getting a lot while you're there and there's also i mean even though we're really silly and playful there's a lot of seriousness behind it and there's a lot of safety that goes into our races watching the runners and dealing with medical emergencies and ultimately trying to prevent the need for search and rescue to come out especially during one of our mountain races so you know it's a lot of fun but uh, we're literally sweating bullets until that last runner crosses the finish line
1: i bet I bet. Interesting. Uh, and I have to say, like, I know the the photographer that did the photos in 2018 did a fantastic job. And then the other thing that stands out is I'm pretty sure you guys had an ice cream truck when we were there in 2018. Was it an ice cream truck? Yeah. Or some, yeah, which was awesome. Yeah,
3: we, we had an ice cream truck, and now we have um, – it's actually pretty cool. Tin can. I don't know if you've seen them in the Valley, so they know. do – yeah, they've got all sorts of stuff. So they just have, like, more of the vegan, gluten-free type food options for runners, which is a huge thing these days. And they have more offerings to be vegan-friendly, you know, gluten-free and all of the diets that people are doing these days.
1: Awesome. Yeah, it was <laughs> uh, it was good. So I can't – I mean, I, I, I've i done a lot of races, and I would say, you know, the they – the atmosphere at your races was amazing. So I would, I would highly recommend it. Um, Thank you. Cool. So I think I wanted to get into a deep dive on all of the races that you have on your, your event schedule here. So we talked about Chikora, so we might as well start there. I think my recollection of Chikora was again, there was like a, an opening road road race, but then you go up the backside of um, I forget the names of the trails. Now I had it,
3: you went up the Liberty. Well, you went up um, Brook. Yes. Yeah, and then to the summit, and then down Hammond. Yeah,
1: exactly. And like Brook was brutal. I was not expecting that at all. Like it's, <laughs> nobody does. Yeah. And the day that I ran it, it was it was. I mean, I guess relatively speaking, if you asked anybody normal, they would say, yeah, it wasn't that bad. But it was in the seventies, and even it didn't get that cool in the summit. So yeah, I was. I didn't bring salt salt on tablets or anything with me and I was cramping up like halfway up and I was like I'm going to be in big trouble yeah. if I lock up I'm going to be screwed so I had to dial it way back that was when Dave Dillon passed me stomping um, <laughs> but I don't know how different the the, the trail um, the trail or the course is now has it changed a lot you said
3: it has and I mean actually Rockhopper itself has it, it's a completely different we're still like silly goofy serious but um, I've taken business classes and totally revamped rock hopper and my partner Ram has really helped me mold the business. So we're changing a lot of things for the better and, um, including the course at Chicora which now it's really, really hard. So you climb right off the bat, you go up Hammond, you come down Liberty, you go up Brook, take the bad weather loop, scoop around run to the summit, and then you come all the way down Hammond. So It has, I believe it's 4,500 feet, 5,000 feet of climbing, has significantly more climbing than you had because all you had to do was go up the mountain once. Now you go three quarters of the way up the mountain, you lose all your elevation, come to the bottom. And then you go back up and over the summit.
1: Oh, you're so you So the business school that you went to was basically like torture your customers. Yeah. That's the best it's way to It's torture
3: deal. people. Yes.
1: Because oh, uh, I'm looking at my Strava right now, 3,500 feet of elevation. So now it's like, what, 5,000?
3: Close to it. Yeah, it's a lot more. <laughs>
1: Crazy. So, <laughs> and um, the
3: after party has grown. So like the other thing is, you know, we were so small back then and it's really been cool because now we have more at the finish line and it's just a lot more excitement like you know more people more vendors like cool things going on and constantly trying to find new ways to make it fun Hmm. gonna have dj jacora this year i'm excited
1: yeah we're gonna make the announcement (laughs) yeah so so if if the listener stomp (laughs) is going to be spinning so I've got my list so I want I, I definitely want to hear like um, Celebration oh by Cool and the Gang please. I want to make sure that I hear some Bob Seger like anything that you'll find at a cheesy wedding you better play but anyway Stomp's going to be doing the, the DJ work at can Dexter we
3: do Park. the Macarena?
2: <laughs> I'll do yes. whatever you guys want me to do honestly you send me your list and I'll make sure I play them you might you might have to hear the uh the podcast intro music once or twice but that's okay no i'm glad to help out it's like hey i've got the pa and everything else and been doing this for a while yeah. so it'll be fun and it's like perfect music for such an upbeat crowd it's like it's just high yeah. energy upbeat crowd it's gonna be great
1: yeah and that's only june 4th is there still spots for the chikora race
3: there's four spots, and then the waitlist opens up.
1: Got wow. it, So it's almost sold out. So I yeah. got to make a call if I'm going <laughs> to do this. So, oh Don't call me. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. I may be. Um, I may be handing you record stomping. <laughs> with, yeah, yeah you, you can carry all my gear. That's perfect. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> but so it's like it's 250 runners, and then um, how many volunteers do you usually have that are out on the course for Chikora?
3: Oh, God, that was a lot. So I just, like, flood the summit cone with people because, God forbid, there's an emergency. We need to be on it, like, a fly on shit, yeah. um, you know, managing or whatever happens. And this year, there are a couple guys that are, like, wicked excited and pumped. They're going to bring water up to the Jim Liberty cabin. So hopefully they, they do keep their word and do that, which will be really nice to have um, there for the people that, run out of water because it was 86 degrees I believe last year and it was really hot so tough mountain to get water up high and there's only one aid station Mm -hmm. so you know hoping that happens and then we have a handful of volunteers at the bottom which last year we just triaged um, people who were in a really bad way they'd be like three at a time on the cot with bags of ice and then they'd go see the physical therapist who would deal with the cramping because when you put ice on someone's crotch and like under their armpits, because they're in a bad way, mm-hmm. once they come to they um, and feel better, they start cramping.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. That race, honestly, and my, you're so right about trail running and mountain racing are, are are totally different. Like that race, when I started feeling the cramps, and I felt those cramps like when I've done marathons before, like you know, the quiver and it's coming on. Yep. <laughs> and if you experience that a few times, you know sort of like, okay, I have to back off. Like I got that on halfway up the first climb and I was like, I got to go up another probably 1,800 feet and then go down. And yeah. it's 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 the most nerve-wracking feeling in the world. So having water up there would be huge.
3: Yeah. So hopefully, you know, we can get enough up there. It's not going to be a ton because I, you can't possibly bring enough water for 250 mm-hmm. people. But if somebody's in a really bad way, at least there's something.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anything else? So we've got stomp DJing, we've got four spots left on Shakur, and then it's gonna be a wait yep. list, and then um would you are you looking for volunteers or do you have enough?
3: I'll take as many as I can get. Um one of the cool things we do for volunteers at our races is they earn race credits, so they earn ten dollars an hour for every hour they volunteer that they can put towards one of our races. So a lot of people will actually volunteer so they can earn enough race credits to race for free.
1: Oh, cool. Awesome. That's awesome. uh, That's a a fun race. And again, we're going to link all this in the show notes and we'll put it on our Facebook and Instagram pages as well. So the next race, and these are not done in order of like how you run them. They're just, I think how the order of of your website is, but the Kilkenny Ridge race, which I haven't done this race, but I've, I've hiked the Kilkenny Ridge all the way out to, you know, from, from the beginning out to Rogers ledge. So this is a, this is an ultra race where you've got two options. You can do a one way from Wombat or whatever the, the, the beginning of the star star King trail to Rogers ledge. And then you, you go out to South pond and then you're done, or you can actually turn around and come back to um, through the weeks and, and out to star King and, What's the distance on both of those courses?
3: So the 25 miler actually starts at Wombat Country Club and they finish at South Pond and we bus the runners over there in the morning. The 50 mile starts at South Pond and finishes at South Pond. So 25 and 50 mile is the, those are the two distances.
1: Okay, and then logistically, I mean there's, there's plenty of spots to get water on there. Do, do you have the runners get their own water if they need it?
3: We suggest they bring a filter with them, but we have some wicked enthusiastic volunteers that somehow we always manage to find at the last minute. They camp on the ridge, which is a pretty fun volunteer position Mm -hmm. for anyone that likes to hike. And we haul up like backpacks full of food and water filters. So there's two key locations. Um, Unknown Pond obviously has a lot of water. Mm -hmm. So we station people there. And then there's, um, when you come off the weeks, there's like a little area that we put the other aid station and they'll hang out there so there's food there's water and if there's a medical emergency we've got first aid kits and cots and tents you know and fortunately we have um we've had ham radio operators there with covid it's been hard to find people but we do have cell service so that's how we're communicating right now is via text
1: yeah yeah and there's an yeah there's enough cell coverage on that i've been out there enough times yeah to so know it gets a little sketchy down in like um, the weeks and Willard Notch and whatnot. But yeah. That's a, and is it 250 runners for that that race as well?
3: Yep, 250 runners. That's pretty standard for anything that's in the White Mountains.
1: Got it. Hmm. And then you must ha- that that Chacoor is easier to control because it's not. You can get enough volunteers to cover everything, so you can be within like a couple hundred feet of somebody having a problem. But you you couldn't do yeah. that with Kilkenny Ridge. Like you have to probably have people checking checking runners that come through and longer distances, right?
3: Yeah, so um, my partner Rem and I, we will – so kind of what we do is we'll kind – of, we have two different vehicles, and we can kind of like travel back and forth as needed, and we have um, – where, where were we going with this? I just uh,
1: – Checking <laughs> runners, just making sure that nobody dies on the course.
3: Oh, so nobody dies. <laughs> yeah, so we have runner check-in, so people – You know, we'll send a text, this many runners started, and when we get drops, we get a text from the aid station, runner number, so-and-so, you know, doesn't want to continue, or they don't look good, so we'll have cues so that the people at the next aid station know that they're waiting for somebody that doesn't look good, and maybe they should talk them into stopping, or if we haven't seen somebody in a long time, it's time to send somebody out on the course looking for people which is, you know, something we had to do once. Um, Somebody took a wrong trail, was hypothermic, decided to start getting naked on the trail, get a phone call from a runner. Somebody's taking their clothes off going down the trail. Wow. And we had to send somebody up the trail to go find this guy and took him back and dealt with the medical emergency. But, you know, these things happen, and knowing the trails, knowing how to get on the ridge as quick as you can and locate people helps and we do have chip timing this year which is um you know pretty helpful kind of tough on the kill one because you're not going to have chip timing on the ridge. we're still going to have the old-fashioned volunteers check people in that way
1: yep awesome um, and wow. that race is in uh late september it is yep and i'm assuming there's still plenty of spots for that or yeah that one there.
3: there's there's plenty of spots for that one that one has not sold out yet okay
1: Great. Hopefully someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a that's a crazy race. So Dave, we had Dave Dillon on a couple of weeks ago, and he had he had done that race, and he had done I think the out and back. So okay, so it's pretty crazy. But um, yeah, and then the next one. So the Chicor and Kilkenny, you've had those established before um, yep. uh, when you started, and then the next one, White Lake Ultra, which I think was an add on race, but you've done that a few times now, right?
3: Yeah, and that one's just a, it's a three mile pretty straightforward flat loop around white lake the first half is wicked easy the second half has some things you can trip on but nothing terrible and what's really fun about this race is it's 6 12 24 hours but we have a party on the beach with a dj who brought like pyrotechnics this year we have tiki torches a bonfire So as the runners make their way around the lake, it's cool for everyone at the lake to see the headlamps going around the lake, but it's also cool for the runners to see the light show, the tiki torches, and to not feel so remote. Like It's one of those races where there's a lot of camaraderie and a community, and people are just cheering each other on, come on, you've got this, one more lap. And I think the best finish this year was this guy had 31 minutes to finish his last lap. He's in the 12-hour race, People cross the finish line at six forty-five in the morning. They're drinking their finished margaritas because they get margarita glasses with a margarita. And this guy had thirty-one minutes to do this three-mile loop. Well, four minutes to go, we're screaming, "You got four minutes, wherever you are!" And he's tearing around the corner ten seconds before his lap didn't count. He crossed the finish line, Uh-oh. and everybody was just freaking <laughs> out. It was like the most epic finish ever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so cool. That- yeah, oh, that is awesome. That's a nice area there. I think that's where, so I do reach the beach relay um, every year. That I think. is. I think that's where we always hang out for, we're not on that, like, we do the van one, but we, can, we hang out there and, like, have lunch or whatever, so.
3: Yeah, uh, it's beautiful.
1: Yeah, no, it's a beautiful area there, <laughs> so. Um, and then the next race here is uh, a new race, so Race the Cog. So I read about this, so do you want to explain a little bit about how this, this one's going to work?
3: Yeah, so the runners have an opportunity to run along the tracks all the way to the summit of Mount Washington, and it's all on private property. It does cross the AT on private property, and then we have permits to take the runners to the summit of Mount Washington alongside the tracks. And logistically, this is a real tricky one because, um, you know, working with the Presby's has been so much fun. They're actually really fun people, and, Mm -hmm. you know, we're bringing in Red Bull and we're just trying it's so far, there aren't that many people signed up, but we're hoping that someday this race grows and they have spectator trains that are going to go off. So people can hop on a spectator train, purchase a ticket and see their friends and family and cheer them on and have cowbells. And, you know, so it's a really special and unique race because you're racing a piece of history going up Mount Washington you can have your friends and family in real time watching you race. And that never that never happens in a race. You're on Mount Washington, which is unreal. Mm-hmm. The course climbs over 1,100 feet a mile. And, you know, we we're hoping to have a big expo at the end of the race, but we just don't have uh, the following. And it's a first-year race. It's an expensive race because there is a lot of swag. There is a cog ride. So it's not like this you know $20 5k race it's a big production and it's a lot of work to put on but it's going to be epic and we can't really do the steamer train because we're worried about embers burning people Mm, yeah and the cog people are said they're going to have the tracks cleaned up alongside of it so hopefully all that mess and junk will be gone by the time of the race too so it's going to make the mountain look a lot better
1: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that was one of the things I remember reading and I was excited about that because I do know there's a, a fair amount of debris on there. Now with the yeah. with the race entry, the racers are going to be able to take the car back down.
3: Yeah. And, um, which is cool because then they can ride down with their family. A lot of people that signed up are bringing their families and you know, I'm a mountain runner and a lot of these people are and you're typically not going to take the cog you're just you're not you know you're going to run the mountain why would you take a vehicle why would you take the cog to the summit so i think it's a really cool opportunity to travel up or down the mountain in a different way than you normally would because i think a lot of these people wouldn't do a cog ride and now they have a chance to
1: yeah you know it sounds like an awesome mm-hmm. reason what's the date of this this race
3: that's june 25th
1: june 25th all right so you have a busy june then
3: very busy june
1: and then um so yeah we'll put a link in that and then i think anybody that's run like the mount washington auto road like you should definitely think about doing this it's 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 probably it's an interesting new way to to run up the mountain and i've hiked along the cog and i've always park i always park in the winter at the cog um railroad and i know that it's controversial. Some people don't like the cog, but I've always been a fan. Like, I think that they've, they've always treated people well. And I love going in there before a hike and and staying warm and getting my, all my clothes on. And, you know, I, 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 love the, uh, the whole area there.
3: Yeah. Like they're controversial in the hiking community, but they're really nice people. Like that's, that's all I can say about them. They're fun, they're genuine and they are nice people. And you know, I've, I've had nothing but positive experiences, and we are making a donation to the Mount Washington Observatory and another one to the AMC for that race. Awesome. Each of our races, we make donations to various organizations.
1: Yes, awesome. that's great. And then um, the next one here, Jigger Johnson. So Stomp, have you have you looked at this course?
2: I have not had a chance. No,
1: In, <laughs> insane. Um, do you, Christine? Do you want to dis- tr- attempt to describe this course? <laughs> Um, attempt.
3: Yeah, so it's a ra- yeah, just like people are going to attempt to finish. It's, <laughs> I'm actually hoping to run the thing in a, the entirety in a few weeks. We'll see once the snow's gone. <laughs> so you start on South Moat and cruise across the moats, and then you drop down and you know eventually going to make your way over Tremont and well, like Attache and all that stuff. Then you you're, you're going to have six miles of pavement when you come through Bartlett. But you're going to appreciate that because after you get off the pavement, if you're doing the 100K, you're going up and out and back on Kerrigan. If you're doing the 50 miler, you're going through Hancock Notch, which is always an experience. And then the best part of this race is you've got, like, less than 14 miles to go. And is there 7,000 feet of climbing? You (laughs) You finish the race by going over both the Osceola's and then we send you up and down to Cumsah twice, oh, and you finish in Waterville Valley.
2: That's my neighborhood. So <laughs> it's I'll have to check it out <laughs> There's
3: 21,000 feet of climbing in the 100K, and there's about 17,000 feet of climbing in the 50-miler, and it's technical.
1: Wow. It's insane. How does this compare to like some of the – and again, I don't know – I haven't paid as much attention to this as I probably should, but there's certainly, like, certain races that have a reputation for being, like, the most difficult because of distance and elevation. How does this compare to some of the biggest events out there?
3: This is definitely the hardest 100K in the country, possibly the hardest in the world. Between the technical terrain that we have here in the White Mountains, the elevation, and, I mean, my goodness, I'm sure you've been up the chimney on the Osceolas and... Kerrigan's no joke, you know, the moats are no joke, Tremont, I mean, there's there's some serious rugged terrain that you're going through and over, and, you know, again, we, safety with this particular race is huge, um, you know, we're making a donation to Fishing Game with this race because well, hopefully we don't have to utilize their services, but and this is a monster production, and uh, there's a lot that's going to go into it to make the runners safe and very strict cutoff times for obvious reasons. We can't have people that are totally annihilated out on the trail wandering around and getting lost or even worse, getting hurt.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. Do you have like, is is this attracting like any, any big name ultra runners or mountain runners?
3: No, there's only a handful of people signed up so far. So fingers crossed we get a few more. There's a lot of interest, but... Um, a lot of people are emailing me because they're worried about the terrain, they're worried about the cutoffs, you know, so it's just like we have to vet every single person that signs up for the race to make sure that they are capable. And that was a request of the Forest Service was they don't want somebody who's never come to the White Mountains and run before thinking they can just go blast this out in 10 hours. This, yeah. this won't be a 10-hour race.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hmm. So interesting. So I'll be curious. And when's the date on this event?
3: That one's August 27th.
1: August 27th, all right. So um, it will start getting a little bit cooler by that point. So I'll keep an eye on this one. I definitely want to get out on the course. I won't be running this event, but I would definitely want to get out on the course and and see, you know, I think being up on top of North Moat that day might be a good, good place to be to check it out.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Crazy, and then I'm assuming you've got plans for some future races as well. But this is this is what you got lined up this year.
3: Yeah, so we've got two that we've played around with on the maps, and Rockhopper's going through um, over the next month. We're going through some like major, major changes, um, super secret stuff right now. But we have a couple more races on deck that we're hoping to have on the docket for next year. We're going to be offering, you know, I think I saw on your. Thing we're going to be doing the shuttle service for prezi traverses to start. We're doing guided mountain running tours now. Some of them are overnight, some are single day. We're doing private, um, custom, and offering coaching. So we're expanding into kind of everything running in the White Mountains.
2: Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, I noticed the shift in your Instagram uh, over the last several weeks, and it's been really cool to see you know branching out into those different areas. It's awesome.
0: Yeah.
1: Stomp. Does this get you? Does this get you motivated to get back into running? I, you
2: know, <laughs> I, I really do want to try it again, but I have to be super careful. I um with my hip, so yeah. I don't know. One of these days, I'll bird walk one of these uh, races. Real <laughs> bird walk. Real gentle. <laughs> bloop 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 bloop.
3: <laughs> so here's the deal with the Jigger race, which is a riot. A solid hiker will absolutely rock this course because if you go into it with the totally, like, I'm going to grind this out and run it mindset, you're going to really struggle. But somebody that can just, like, hang on to that super solid, like, two and a half, three mile an hour hiking pace, they're going to actually do really well.
1: Interesting. What's the time limit on it?
3: 26 hours.
1: 26 hours.
2: 62 miles, roughly? Is that what it works out to be? Yeah, so
3: once 50... Yeah, so there's a 50 miler, and then there's the 62 miler. So, um, obviously, the 50 milers have a little bit more leeway than the 100K.
1: Yeah. In the the um, the longer race, are they going to Kerrigan? Or are they going past that and going right through Hancock Notch?
3: The 100Ks do Kerrigan out and back. The 50 mile do not do Kerrigan.
1: Okay. All right. I would, you know, where I would crack is like at the beginning, once you hit Greeley Pond and you got to go up Osceola after having, that would be where I would crack. Oh, my God. That would be, I'd be done. Like I could probably hang on up until then, but that would be, I would tap out at Osceola's. Well,
3: it's like somebody who's never seen the chimney before might get to the chimney and be like, what is this? Why is this in this race?
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly crazy. So um, <laughs> so you already talked about, so you're, you're going to be doing some shuttle services and um, running clinics and things like that. So we should just keep an eye on your, your website and your Instagram and social media to see what's available uh, for new offerings.
3: Yeah. So we have um, actually June 11th, it's almost sold out. We have a guided Prezi Traverse tour that we're doing and we have a ladies only um, Prezi Traverse tour on June 6th, then we're starting to add more running tours to the schedule and feeling out like which routes are the ones that most people want to do. And if we don't offer something, we can create a custom, you know, whatever they want to do, custom adventure. But definitely geared towards trail running where we take care of all the logistics, the pacing, and all you do is show up and run and have fun and we have um there's four of us guiding and all the guides are like amazing and something really cool we're offering in july is the mountain mindfulness retreat where we're going to have yoga meditation we'll cook all your meals for you Um, we're camping in the great gulf wilderness and then we do trail running every day so it's going to be a very holistic experience where you get to enjoy trail running Experience the great golf, but also keep you grounded and do the meditation and the yoga. So hopefully you leave feeling really good about life.
1: Awesome. I can <laughs> see you guys just like setting up on the rocks along the P V D River and the Gulf and like Yes. Oh, so much Zen right there. So, yes,
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: I would be fidgeting the whole time. I'd be horrible at it, but like, it's just, <laughs> that's good. But uh, I do have a request for you guys. I have an idea, yeah. and I have an opinion. So, I think that Rockhopper should bring back the Wild Man Biathlon. Have you heard of that race before?
3: I heard that thing is amazing. It's and a wild man. I am not. Hmm opposed to that and I love the name of it I mean who doesn't love something called the Wire Man
1: yeah the, the Wild Man Biathlon I don't think it's I think that they I don't think they do it anymore maybe I'm wrong maybe they maybe they have it but it's it's like a um, yeah. it's a 10k then it's it starts in Shelburne like down by Gorham <laughs> and then yeah 22 mile ride up 16 to Wildcat and then a, a hike up Polecat so it was my One of my first when I started getting into triathlons, I did that first because I couldn't swim, and I was like, "All right, I like this," so I started swimming. (laughs) So, um, but I definitely recommend uh, you guys looking at bringing something like that back; that would be cool. (laughs) Um, But other other running around the area, so definitely you want to partner with uh, with Rockhopper and anything you're doing. But there is a lot of other activity that goes on. So I was, you know, the Mount Washington Road Race and the Mountain Goat Series. um, There's the White Mountain Milers that does like some you know whittaker woods trail running and we talked about reach the beach is there any other um running stuff in the area like i feel like new hampshire and in that area has a ton of running options for people right
3: well there does there's the kismet cliff run there's um the milers actually do a half marathon there's um Oh, man, what was I just going to say? Oh, we have um, the Mount Washington Valley Running Club, which we started last fall. And we our motto is Leave No Runner Behind. We're trying to create a community. And um, this girl, Nicole Handel, kind of came up with the idea, and it's been amazing. So we have a Facebook group. Wednesday nights we meet in Freiburg on that rec path. Oh, yeah. And we we don't drop people. like We wait for everybody so that if you're – just starting out, you're intimidated, you want people to run with, go on the Facebook page and check out the different runs that happen during the week. It's a great place to make friends. Um, we've met a lot of really awesome people and really cool dogs. So I highly recommend, you know, creating some some friendships with people in the Valley that enjoy running in a non-intimidating environment.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, there's so much. I mean, Running has is, is given me so much as far as health, and like for me, I think I probably would be spending thousands of dollars on therapy if I didn't have my morning runs, so <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever, whatever it takes to get you through life, I guess, but running for me has been yeah. huge. So. Um, yeah.
3: Oh, and there's like one more race. There's the Cranmore um, hill climb, too.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Epic. Yeah. Oh, boy so great uh, not the cranmore hill climb like that <laughs> the problem with the cranmore hill climb is that it's not just a hill climb it's the lunatics going downhill that um, <laughs> well it's
3: up and down and up <laughs> yeah
1: and that's like i i get so afraid of going down like i can go uphill and yeah. i find my gear and i'm good and i'm fine but And a lot of times when I was more competitive, like I would be pretty far up front in the on the hill climbing, but I would be so afraid going downhill. And these lunatics just like they have there's certain people that have it in their head like they have no fear whatsoever. And I don't know what it is, but like they just they just fly down the hill and I I could never be like that. So So, Hmm. what did we miss? Stomp anything
2: else? No, not really. I mean, this is fantastic. It's so great to see this culture coming to the east. So, thank you, Christina. This is really cool, and I'm sure it's only going to grow and blossom even further. So, super cool.
3: Hope so. Yeah.
2: Are you doing any? Thanks for having oh, me. Oh yeah, no problem. Are you doing any like national advertising, or are you you avoiding that because of the the? the restrictions that the agencies have put on you to make sure that people are ready for these races or, or how does that all work
3: like I said Rockhopper is about to make like a huge change yeah. so we have like new websites coming out and we're revamping everything and um, you know so we're kind of like in this space where we're, we're waiting to kind of ultimately redirect where we're going we're still going to be the same old party um, we're still going to be super serious yeah. but we're going to grow off a little bit and mature as a um, company so that we can provide some pretty awesome things to people in the White Mountains. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Well, that's awesome.
3: I, I hate being elusive, but I can't really share anything. No, until no, elusive. that's fine. <laughs> so follow yeah. us to, uh, you know, see the big announcement when it happens. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> and it may be better to be just cautious because the last thing you want to do is have, like, 300 people that haven't been in the whites show up and be like, we're going to rip this trail and like and just get themselves in trouble. Do
2: you, do you so, notice a percentage of people coming from some of the other big races like the Mount Washington Road Race or anything like that? Some of the top seed people or anything like that?
3: Yeah, so there were so, – well, I don't have any – there's three people in the elite division for the COG race this year, and a lot of um, the big-time West Coast runners, they – already have all the race season booked for the year. I did invite a few people to come do Jigger, yeah. but they're booked out a year in advance. So, you know, And it's a first-year race. I mean, that's yeah. – Dave, you were – I mean, I, yeah, you were at um, – like Dave was there, and you guys, there were a few of you at that first Chakora, and a first-year race is clunky. It's, yeah, sure. It's terrifying. It's clunky, so it's kind of nice to not have that many people. <laughs> but as they grow, then you can grow with the race and – it's
1: not as scary. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah, no, this was fun, and uh, I'm excited to hike tomorrow and then do my half marathon, and, and then I'm going to take a look at Chikora. I'll probably help stomp, spin spin <laughs> music, but I might take a look at that cog race and do that, so we'll see. I can huff some water up Chikora. There you go.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, best volunteer job ever. Hey, can you carry some water? Yeah, but yeah. I guess there could be worse volunteer jobs. Yeah, at a exactly. race, than Yeah.
1: Exactly. All right. I'll cool. oh, go ahead.
3: I was gonna say, keep your head positive when you run your half marathon. It's all about the fun.
1: I'm. I need to find a costume now and some fireball shots.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, costumes! Like I've got. Five boxes of costumes. It's pretty bad.
1: (laughs) I bet. I bet. Every year, so we do the Reach the Beach. And like yeah. we always have to figure out a theme. So one year we did like Bob Ross, like the the happy little trees. Oh so, we like no. so like we have to figure out a theme this year. So, but some years I've had costumes. But I'm not. I'm never doing that tutu thing. That like I see these poor guys that do reach the beach, and you can tell like they've never done a race before because they're in their tutus. And I'm like, anybody that's in a race knows you don't get in the tutu because that's just like stereotype. So.
3: We had a couple run in a Viking costume at White Lake. It was phenomenal. And then, oh, this was great. I have um, a big T Rex, the blow up thing. So I was oh, hiding yeah. in the yeah. woods with the photographer and I'm jumping out at the runners and scaring the hell out of them. And they're all like jumping and screaming. So yeah. we got some good pictures of uh, screaming runners. <laughs> so
1: funny I'll never forget like the costume stuff is so funny I was I did the Boston Marathon in 2013 and I'll never forget like getting passed by this kid that was dressed up like a hot dog and I'm like you're in a hot dog like is that demoralizing? I'm like I'm pretty fast and like you're passing me in a hot dog outfit like what the heck is going on here oh that air drag
3: I got passed by a Christmas tree once like (laughs) what the
2: heck oh that's funny
1: that's funny so all right well Christina thank you so much and um, we're going to do a couple of search and rescue news stories here. So hop in if you have any ideas, but, um, so stomp, where do you want to start? I think we've got a list here, but we're not going to do all of them. Let's Um, go for the big enchilada
2: at the end because it's hilarious.
3: Why doesn't everybody take wilderness first aid
1: classes? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Actually, that's a good point is I didn't hit that. So you guys do a partnership sponsorship for wilderness first aid, right?
3: We do with Solo and Redline. We are huge, huge advocates of safety. And the more people that get out there and take this wicked fun two-day class, I don't care if you take it through Rockhopper or anyone else that offers it, make sure it's a solo class. You're going to learn how to make a sling out of a jacket You're going to learn how to survive in the woods. You're going to learn how to save somebody's life, whether it be your own, your friends, or strangers. Um, It's like, let's take the burden off a fishing game so that, you know, you can learn about mountain safety, what to carry in your pack, and possibly be able to help get somebody off the trail so that fishing game isn't inundated with endless calls like they have been. Yeah. Sorry, that's my No, that's super cool. (laughs) I'm passionate about this.
1: Well the thing too is if you do the solo class if you do the solo class and you have BB as your teacher, you're probably going to go on a rescue mission anyway, right, Stomp?
2: Absolutely. I was just going to say, I I, I actually saw BB on a Zoom call earlier today, and he made the point of saying that he's going to have a whole bunch of students that are ready, willing, and uh, there was one other adjective in there.
1: All right. So we'll do a very short search and rescue segment, so there's nothing. We had like four search and rescue calls last week in the Whites, I think, that we covered. But this week we don't have any. So good job, hiking community, for not getting in trouble. Yep. Um, So this search and rescue news takes us to Oregon. So this is a great headline. Stranded hiker in (laughs) flip-flops sends smoke signal from steep Oregon cliffs. So shame for him wearing flip-flops but I feel like he redeemed himself by doing the smoke signal. (laughs) So I feel like this is sort of a neutral one.
2: Um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Prop. This guy, so he's, he's hiking, wearing flip flop sandals. And he's carrying a dead cell phone, uh, but he was able to build a fire to stay warm for the night, and it saved his life. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and there's a picture. that I'll put this in the show notes, but this guy looks like a guy that would be hiking in flip-flops. So 51-year-old hiker left his home on May 1st to go for a hike in an unfamiliar trail, and after a few hours, he lost the trail and became disoriented, um, the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office said. So he began working his way down the hillside until he could go no further to sheer cliffs, and he just had the flip-flops on, and um, his cell phone battery died, so there was no way for him to contact anybody. But he was able to make a fire for the night and shelter in place, and then uh, he was able to get his, his fire, the smoke spotted by a, a worker at the Bonneville Dam. And then they were able to sort of confirm the smoke, and then the sheriff's office went and activated a search and rescue operation. So good for him. <laughs> Even though he was wearing flip flops, he was able to do smoke signals. So amazing! So you you can redeem yourself. So <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I, I saw the headline. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I, that is just
1: perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And then I think the only other one I have here, stomping them, we'll we'll wrap it up yeah. is. There was, a, and this isn't search and rescue related, but there was a big bust on uh, in Vermont and New Hampshire for um, illegal poaching. So six people are facing a bunch of criminal charges after um, a multi-agency investigation tied them to a significant poaching um, operation. So wow. they were killing deer off-season. And uh, it was like, I think, hundreds of deer that were being killed wow. here. So that's uh, we always talk about fishing game in terms of like, saving people from like SUV crashes and hiking and snowmobile. But like, there's a whole operation that they do around fishing and, and hunting. And this, this was a big bust. So it was six people from Vermont.
2: That's amazing. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, No kidding. wonder how they, uh, Crazy, they yeah. got them. I'm always fascinated by that side know. of things.
1: Yeah. I mean, my, I, I feel like, um, on Northwoods Law, they've 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 grabbed a couple of these poachers. They definitely get tips from people, and then I think that they also use game cameras. And then, you know, I think they mostly will rely on tips from people. Hmm.
2: Though. They were all twenty year olders too. Interesting
1: mid twenties. You know, they're probably. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know what the thought, what goes through people's heads. I was definitely not the brightest bulb when I was that age either, but still, yeah. they're going to pay a, a stiff price.
2: Well, yeah, no kidding. $1,800, $1,200, restitution, $500. That's a big chunk of change for a 20-year-older. Wow. <clears throat> Interesting. All right. Well, um, Christina, you made it to the end. Yeah. Can you hear us now? Christine <laughs>
1: I think, had a little audio problem.
2: Oh, here. Really? Oh okay, well that's fine. Well, Christina, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we will see you soon, I guess.
1: <laughs> Can you hear us? <laughs> she looks so so lost. <laughs> well, well, she said that um, she said our audio is coming through.
2: Oh, like that? Okay.
1: Well It's I think it's getting like Pixelated or something
2: Interesting Okay
1: Huh Oh well Any better now? Oh no Okay
2: <laughs> I am dying Well this is a first But
1: it's probably a good place to stop anyway It's probably no big deal I know <laughs> Oh we sound like demons So
2: <laughs> well. uh, Christine is acting out a a terrible monster.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we can we can hear you. We might have to so My internet's good. <laughs> Hold on. I'm going to stop the recording.
2: Too funny.
1: Now can you did that change anything? No. <laughs>
2: Oh, no big deal.
1: So, Stomp, you're going to have to figure out how to end the show. I think
2: we just, we just should just end it the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think it was good. Okay. Can you type in and say, thank you so much, and we will okay. <laughs> see you soon? <laughs> I think we are all set. We love technology here at Slasher.
0: <laughs> thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some Mega Peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most
2: challenging day hike ever.
3: Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree.
0: And
1: there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are?
0: But only one hill! Here is Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? Seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, Hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.